Luke 24, verse 33. We ended last week in verse 36, and we're coming up on the tail end of the Gospel of Luke. We've been in the Gospel of Luke since 2016. November 25th is when we started, and we were talking as a leadership team about the schedule as we're teaching through, and Pastor Bo was asking me, when are you going to finish Luke? And I was like, well, it could be this day, and it could be that day, and I actually planned on ending last week. And then we were going to, on this week, start the book of Revelation. And Pastor Bo looked at me and said, you want to start the book of Revelation on Mother's Day? I said, well, I don't know. And so we took a little longer. And then today, somebody asked me this morning, are we going to finish the gospel of Luke today? And I was like, I don't know. I'm ready to, but it, doesn't, it depends on how fast you guys listen. So it's not going to happen today. But I would remind you that Luke, when he began his uh, epistle, remember that back in 2016? Luke told Theophilus, he says, hey, Theophilus, I'm going to write, I'm going to write to you an account because you've already been instructed in the way of the gospel, but I want you to be certain of the things that you've heard and received. And so now Luke, after writing 24 chapters, gets to this portion of scripture, which we know it as Easter Sunday, and he talks about all the details that happened after Christ rose from the dead, and that's how he ends his epistle. Hey, Theophilus, I want you to be certain of all these things, and this is how it ends. If you're a Bible student, you know that Luke also wrote the book of Acts, which picks up right here in chapter 24, right at the very same intersection, and he goes into 28 more chapters of what happened after the resurrection. Okay, we have that on, on I was going to say tape. <laughs> we have that on MP3 or download. You can go online and get that. But what we study here today is Easter Sunday. What Jesus did fresh out of the grave after his first time taking breath in his resurrected body on Sunday morning, Jesus met with four different groups of people, okay? First, he met with Mary Magdalene and the ladies. Mary Magdalene had demons in her and had lived a, a, a wanton life and had been outside of the fold of God, and Jesus saved her. He met with her first. Secondly, he met with Peter somewhere along the road. We don't have record of that, but we have notes pointing to it. Thirdly, we find him meeting with the guys on the road to Emmaus. That's what we studied last week. These two dudes who were quitters, who were losers, who were leavers, and Jesus went and pursued them. And finally, in our study, we see Jesus appearing to the 11 that night, Easter Sunday evening. You see, this gives me great hope because Jesus goes after those who need him and who, quote unquote, need him the most. Maybe it was Mary Magdalene who had had a crazy life, needed Jesus. Maybe it was Peter who'd quit. Maybe it was the road to Emmaus, these boys. Maybe it was the 11, all of them. And you find yourself in a situation today wondering, does Jesus love me? Does he know what's going on in my life? I hope he doesn't know what's going on in my life, some of you are thinking. Okay, Jesus has your Facebook profile. He knows what's going on. And he loves you. As a matter of fact, let's read verse 33 together. It says, so they rose. These are the boys on the road to Emmaus. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, and this is what the 11 were saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then the two guys from the road on verse 35 say, and they told him the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Stop right there, eyes up here. These guys are met by Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Jesus talks to them. He walks with them. He goes into their house. He breaks bread. And as soon as he breaks the bread and gives it to them, boom, he disappears. And they realize, it was Jesus. Ah! And they start to talk. And it's late at night. So what do these guys do? They get up and they run seven miles back to Jerusalem. Just get a quick 10K under their belt. You know, let's run. And they run back to Jerusalem. And as soon as they get there with the 11, now they're called the 11 because they used to be the 12 but Judas killed himself. Now they're the 11. 
We know that these 11, it's actually not 11, there's actually 10 here at this meeting. Thomas isn't there. We don't know where he's at, but we know he's not there. John tells us that. They're known as the 11. So they go back to the 11, and as soon as they break open the door, the 11 begin to speak to these two guys, and they say, he's risen indeed. He's been with Peter. And they say, he was with us breaking bread. We saw the whole thing. And they're talking about this. Look what happens next. Verse 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. Now just stop right there, eyes up here. You got the two guys barging the door. They just ran from Emmaus, super sweaty and nasty. Jesus, the road, the bread, ah, it was crazy, all this stuff they're telling. They're like, don't wait, he was risen. And all of a sudden, Jesus is like, what up? <laughs> At least that's how I see it in my mind. Because if you're going to be walking through a wall, you know, you're not going to be weird and all pasty, like, hello. Right? Unless you saw a painting of Jesus where, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes, you know, like Birkenstocks, you know. No, no. Jesus walks through the wall. John tells us he doesn't go through the door. He doesn't knock. He walks through a wall, okay? And he interrupts this conversation, which two things are happening in this conversation. Number one, they're rejoicing in the reality of the resurrected Savior. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. This morning we woke up super bummed out. This morning we were quitters. This morning we were losers. This morning we had no hope and now we have hope and they're rejoicing in that and they're not just rejoicing in that. Listen, listen, they're fellowshipping with each other. They get, these guys are having deep fellowship and guess who shows up in the midst of rejoicing and fellowship? Jesus Christ. Okay, you can take this to the bank by the way. If you're wondering where your fellowship with Jesus is, why Jesus doesn't show up in your life, I would propose to you, maybe you're not rejoicing enough in the resurrected Savior or fellowshipping enough with other people. This is scary, by the way. There's some professed Christians here this morning. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. For sure. Totally, totally Christian. Love Christmas. <laughs> Love the 4th of July. Never had decaf in my life. You know, whatever. I'm a Christian. Cool. Do you rejoice in the resurrection? Well, what do you mean? Whoa, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? What do I mean? Do you freak out about the resurrection? Does it, does it change everything for you? Is it provision for your sin? Is it power for your struggle? Is it purpose for your life? Or is it kind of a antiquated historical asterisk? Not really sure if I. That was a long time ago. Guess what? If you don't rejoice in the resurrection often or ever, chances are you won't have the presence of Jesus walk through the walls of your life. I'm just saying. The second thing they're doing is they're fellowshipping with like-minded believers. They're actually fellowshipping as opposed to just relationships. You guys know the difference between fellowship and a relationship. You can have relationships with lots of people, okay? Friendship, relationship, then there's fellowship. Fellowship is like two fellows in a ship. No, anyways, maybe, you know, because you're there, you're intimate, like we ain't going nowhere, we're here. And we are linked on a whole nother level. Friendship, relationship, I love them. Fellowship is different. Fellowship, how? In the resurrected Savior. Instantaneous fellowship. Yesterday was our men's breakfast, okay? And I'll be honest, if it weren't for the resurrected Savior, I probably wouldn't know 99.9% .9 of anybody in that room. Wouldn't even know them. You have no reason to be friends. A couple of them, maybe. Maybe one or two. Like my dad and Pastor Bo. Now, even Pastor Bo, I wouldn't know. Wouldn't know any of them. But, but you know what? We ate together. We fellowshiped together. Without even knowing each other necessarily, we loved each other. This is what the, what the resurrected Savior, this is what Jesus does for you and me. I think there's a principle here. If you're not celebrating, 
rejoicing in the resurrected Savior or fellowshipping with people of like mind, chances are Jesus isn't walking into your stuff. Okay, just put it in, put it in your notes. Where's Jesus at? It's so easy to be spiritual. I, I made a decision at summer camp. I'm a Christian. I believe. I love Christmas. I'm a good person. I'm better than that person at least. And Jesus says, I, I, don't, I don't know any of that. What I'm looking for is you celebrating who Jesus, this changes everything for me, okay? My vocation, which means uh, my job, uh, I get to talk about Jesus, okay? That's, that's what I get to do, it's amazing. I often text other ministry pastors and people, and I always say, we get to do this, can you believe, we get to do this. We get to talk about Jesus and rejoice. I get to go to prayer meetings. I, I get to, to lead assemblies. I get to, to put sermons together all about Jesus. Did you know that's not just, just my gift? that I get to enjoy, it's yours too. Every single one of us has something that's going to define us. As a matter of fact, I don't think it's random that these guys all found themselves together congregating in one room. These guys to Emmaus, we only know one's name, Cleopas, we don't know the other guy's name. They're called the 11, one's missing. Okay, they had like interest and therefore they were gathered with one another. This is a principle for good or bad. Right now, the people you hang out with Okay, your, your friendships and relationships, you all have something in common, for good or bad. Maybe you're a car guy, maybe you're a hunter guy, maybe you're a sports guy, maybe you're a woman that sews, or, you know, that's, or maybe you're a sportswoman or a hunter woman or you know, all that stuff. Maybe, I don't know. Or maybe, maybe it's Jesus Christ. If you go to a life group right now or a Bible study, chances are there are people that are very different than you Okay, at that life group, but when you show up, oh, you love Jesus too? No way to give me a hug. We're best friends. Like We're best friends right now, and it's Jesus Christ. Be careful, though, because if you're not, you'll find yourself linked to unnecessarily the wrong type of people, and you won't experience the presence of Jesus. If you'll notice in verse 33, I read it to you quickly. It says, they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. Stop right there, eyes up here. When Jesus is real to you, when the resurrection becomes something that changes your life, it immediately changes the direction of your life and who you fellowship with. This is how it works. I remember back in 1998 when the resurrection of Jesus Christ became personal to me. And then 1999, everything changed. The direction of my life, what I rejoiced in, what I surrounded myself with. I used to be a drug dealer. I lived in a drug house with a bunch of drug people doing drug things. You just fill in the blanks. And one day a youth pastor, Pastor Jeremy Haskell, took me home to that house and he said, hey, can I use your phone? I gotta come in, this is before phones and internet and all that stuff. You can imagine everyone was in black and white. And I said, well, you don't really wanna come into my house. It's kinda dirty. And he's like, no, let me in. And he came in and he began to look at my house. He's like, you know what you should do? You should move out of this place. You should move in with me. And he had nowhere to put me. He said, just bring your bunk beds. We'll figure it out. And so I moved out and I moved in with him at this little two bedroom, one bathroom apartment with him and another guy and myself and eventually we had another guy living with us on the floor and it was a Christian home where we fellowshiped and rejoiced in the resurrection. And I had to leave that environment that I had become so well known in as a drug dealer there in Southern Oregon. And I had to leave my what we called friends, we called them homies. And I remember I got in a lot of trouble doing that. I got in a lot of flack, people didn't understand and I had to use the old line, it's me, not you, you know, kind of thing as I'm moving out of these environments. And I would just encourage you who are believers here today, okay? When Jesus Christ changes everything for you, it really does. 
it changes the direction of your life. These guys rose up from Emmaus and went the other way, and it changes the people you fellowship with. Now, don't get me wrong. I've got lots of non-believing, unsaved friends, okay? God has put me in their lives on purpose to love them, to serve them, to minister to them, to be the light. But the people that I fellowship with, the people that I actually would get in a boat with, if you would, are Christians that know Jesus and love Jesus. And we have an awesome bond, okay? An awesome bond. Let me just say this, too, about this bond that we have around the resurrection, uh, we here are a Calvary Chapel Church. We're an independent, non-denominational church, and we just preach the Bible, and we, we just love doing that. And it's, the foundation is on the resurrected Christ. There are other churches in our town that are denominationally based and have different rules and liturgies and setups. Did you know that their foundation, most of them, is the resurrected Jesus Christ? And this allows us to be in fellowship with them, too. And when you're talking to your Newport Nazarene friends or your Ark Bible Church friends or your First Baptist friends or your First Christian Church in Newport friends or the Assembly of God Church friends or the Radiant Church friends, when you're talking to them, those are our friends because they believe in Jesus Christ and his resurrected body. And they might have different preferences and different styles and different service times and even some theological differences down the road, open-handed issues, second-tier issues, I call them. But if you believe in Jesus Christ... In his resurrected body, we are on the same team. And let me say this, if you're a South Beach church person, I want a reputation from our church being the most kind, generous, benevolent, forbearing church that anybody's ever seen because we see people through the eyes of Jesus. We don't condescendingly look down on them or pick them apart. This takes maturity and acceptance and it's beautiful. Jesus here shows up in the midst of these guys because they're deciding to rejoice in the resurrection and fellowship with each other. It's so simple. You guys could teach this stuff. I just see it here, bold and clear. Jesus, after he's pursued the ladies, after he's pursued Peter, after he's pursued Emmaus, the guys on the road to Emmaus, he shows up here. And look at what happens in verse 37. It says they were, or verse 36. Now, as they said these things, that is, they're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. I am so glad that he led with these words, peace to you. He could have said a whole bunch of things, but instead he spoke to them about peace. And let me say it this way. The Bible says that this peace is a peace that passes understanding. It's a peace that doesn't always make sense horizontally because your life will get out of control from time to time. Jesus said, in this world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And when he comes into this scene here, knowing that they're about to be exploited, they're about to be kicked out of Jerusalem, it's about to get gnarly, he says, peace to you. First thing he says is peace to them because he wants you to have peace. Don't raise your hand, but have you experienced the peace of God that passes understanding? Have you experienced that in the midst of your chaos and your midst of your trauma? I hope you have. I hope you have. As a matter of fact, if you have not, okay, memorize this verse. Peace to you. That's the red letters. Jesus shows up. He could have said a bunch of things. He could have been legalistic. He could have showed up and said, knock it off. You know, some of you were raised that way. You know, <laughs> he could have showed up, vacuum this place, you know, <laughs> wash the windows. He could have said a bunch of stuff. He declared peace to them. I need you to memorize this verse because every single day you're going to have a choice. Will I accept this gift or not? When a gift is given to you, you know you don't get it unless you accept it, right? I can give you a gift, you can just look at it. Jesus can say peace to you and it might not translate. As a matter of fact, here's my point. Read the next verse, verse 37. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. They do exactly the opposite of what Jesus had commanded them to do. Jesus comes in through the wall, peace to you. Ah, they freak out. He's like, that's the opposite of peace. 
you're doing the exact opposite of what I said, which this is our nature, isn't it? You try and teach your kids stuff when they get older, when they're young, you know, and they're, they're young, they're just crawling around, you're like, don't touch that. They're like, and they touch it. And we don't ever quit. We get all fancy, we become adults, you're walking down the road, and it says, fresh paint, don't touch, and you're like, how fresh can it be? You know what I'm saying? Like, let me just inspect this, and we touch it. No grass feels greater under your feet than the grass that says, stay off the grass. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the best. Jesus here shows up, peace to you. They go the exact opposite direction. It's what we do naturally. And so Jesus here, he rebukes them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they'd seen a spirit. Verse 38, he gently rebukes them. Verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is so great. Jesus shows up through the wall, resurrected body. He's already seen the guys on the road to Emmaus. He's already seen Peter. He's already seen the gals. Now he's seeing the 11. And he says, peace to them. And they freak out. They can't handle it. And he says, why are you guys troubled in your hearts? And why are you filled with doubts? actually a really good question. These guys are with the resurrected Savior, and they're responding the exact opposite way they should. This reminds me of my children, okay? When they say, there's, we're hungry, you know, and they open up the cupboard, there's nothing to eat. It's like, dude, we could eat for days. You ever looked in the fridge, there's nothing in here, you know? You, just, you miss what's right there in front of you. Here's my question for you who are believers here today. Have you recently been filled with fear or doubt. Okay. The reality is you have. I, I, unless you're on some other wavelength. If you're like me, you've been filled with fear and doubt even today. Fear of the future. Fear of failure. Fear of man. Maybe you're like me and even occasionally you have fear of the past. You have things that you've done, things that, are, that, that the enemy still brings to you dozens of years later. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I do remember that. And you walk in fear, and your heart is troubled. And Jesus here, not wanting his believers, his sons and daughters, to be plagued with fear, asks him a very simple question, why? Can I tell you why? When you're filled with fear and doubt, can I tell you why? It's because you're failing to factor in the resurrected Savior. You just haven't failed, factored him in. The Bible says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God, and he will direct your paths. Okay? Don't, don't, we process things based on a unilateral playing field. Just kind of everything forward here. Very pragmatic. And when you do that, oh man, we're in trouble. And Jesus shows up through the wall. Wasn't that cool? He could have went through the door. Like, why are you being a weirdo, Jesus? He's like, well, I'll prove a point. I'm the man, I figured this out. I rose from the dead. And if I can raise from the dead, and he's about to show them his hands and his feet, he's like, hey, guys, guys, why are you so fearful right now? And I'm gonna just, I want you guys to figure this out because I think there's a few very small yet life-changing principles. The first one was, if you're rejoicing in the resurrected savior and fellowshipping with others, you're gonna experience his presence. That's what I want the most. This can happen with, with two or more, just small groups. But I also think for you moving forward, you who are filled with fear and doubts can find the remedy right here. 
because it's really not about you. It's not about me. It's, listen, it's not about our economy or our government. It's not about anything that maybe you think it is. And when you factor in Jesus Christ, who's able to walk through walls, who rose from the dead, who went to hell and back on your behalf, and he comes into your life and he's like, you telling me you're full of fear and doubts? What, what, what more do I need to do for you? And he's not mad. He's not condescending like I would treat you or my children. He looks at you and says, is there, did I miss anything? Is there anything I haven't done for you? And if you want to today believe this in your present trouble, yeah, amen. I'm going to hold on to that. And you might have just got the call from the doctor you didn't want to get. You might be having problems relationally with the people you love. You might have real things in your life that are difficult. And the Lord would still, with humility and empathy, in a gentle, loving rebuke, say, why are you filled with fear and doubt? And you gotta answer that. Well, I guess I don't need to be, do I, Lord? I don't need to be. Like Job, in Job chapter one, who suffered more than anybody here, who lost more than anybody here, who was used by God to demonstrate God's faithfulness more than anybody here, and Job, in Job chapter one, after losing more and suffering more, cried, collapsed, and confessed. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job one, the Bible tells us he did not sin. His life was harder than yours will ever be, period. And he chose to see God in it all. He chose to trust. This is a gift you guys can hold on to right now in the midst of everything you're going through right now. And it doesn't mean everything's going to fall into place. It probably won't. It's not going to work like that. I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you. But I will give you the tools that Jesus gave. It's the peace, listen, that passes understanding. This is what this world needs. The world's going crazy, isn't it? Isn't it going nuts? And here's the part that, I'm going to get political for a second here. Here's, here's the part that boggles my mind is we have legislatures and lawmakers and leaders and all these people trying to figure stuff out. I'm, I'm so thankful that there's people trying to figure stuff out and we need to figure it out, okay? How are you going to figure it out? We're going to work harder and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. What? And there are governments that are set in place, ours in general, that are set up in place right now to figure everything out and they're not factoring in God. They're just not bringing God into the center of it at all. We're going to do this our own way. It's like, gee, this doesn't, this doesn't end well, <laughs> just so you guys know. The Tower of Babel, they did the same thing. They tried to figure it out, not factor God in, and the thing went weird. You too have a temptation. I gotta figure this out. My finances, my relationship, my problem, my weaknesses. You're gonna be filled with fear and doubt unless you factor the Lord in. How do we do this? Look at verse 28. Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands, here's his answer, and my feet. That it is I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have, verse 40, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus here, showing up in their midst, asking them the question of the hour, why are you troubled? Just look at me. Spend some time looking at my hands and my feet. Spend time with me. I don't know if you guys have done this recently, you've seen it. hopefully you have, in, in your trouble, in your real trauma. Have you gone to the Lord? Have you sat at his feet? Open up his word and just read it. The Bible's alive, by the way. It's not, a, it's not a normal book. When you read his word, it actually is 
powerful and miraculous. It'll actually do for you what you cannot do for yourself. The Bible says it restores your soul, Psalm 23. That's pretty intense. It's pretty intense. I need some soul reconstruction. Read the Bible. The Bible says, come to the table. Did you know at South Beach Church, we take communion every single Sunday, three times per Sunday, and also on Good Friday? All year long, we come to the table. Even today, we're gonna take communion, a little cup full of juice. It's Welch's grape juice. And a little cracker that we bought at JC Market. And the cracker has holes in it, like our Savior was pierced. And it has stripes on it, like our Savior was striped. And it's discolored, like our Savior was marred and bruised. And when we look at the cup that represents his blood, and when we look at the cracker that represents his body, we're able to remind ourselves, oh yeah, my Savior lives. He did this for me. Why are my heart, why is my heart troubled, and why do doubts arise? And he gave them his hands. Look what happens next. This is crazy. I'm going to develop a point right here. I want you to see this. I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. But verse 41, it says, but while they still did not believe, so they haven't changed their mind yet, for joy... And marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is crazy. Jesus says, why are you guys troubled? It's me, check me out. And they began to look at his hands and they saw the scars, the only man-made thing that will be in heaven, by the way, is the, human, the scars that we put upon our Savior. And they began to see the scars on him and they rejoiced so much. And the Bible says that for the joy, they didn't believe. They started losing their mind. So at one moment, they're almost non-believers that it's him. Ah! He's like, no, 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 come down, it's right here. Ah! And they start to freak out. They can't even believe it. He's like, Dude, you guys got any burgers? And they're like, wait, what'd you say? Fish tacos, anything? What do you guys got? Nachos? Where you, you know? He starts asking for food. And I'm reading this going, what in the world is going on here? Why is Jesus asking for food? These guys are on a charismatic paradigm in a pendulum swinging and they can't even believe that he's the savior until he shows them his hands then they're so fired up that they've seen the risen savior that they can't believe it's what i said for joy they didn't believe and so jesus says let's eat let's talk about it over food how many guys like to eat anybody here okay eating is pretty normal isn't it it's pretty natural we all do it okay and it's pretty legit god invented it that way and i'm not sure if i'm reading into this too much but on one pendulum of christianity is the resurrected savior and the miraculous and the charismatic and the powerful and the jubilous and it's so crazy that they're losing their minds a little bit and on the other paradigm of christianity it's very normal like eating fish tacos and because they're losing their minds jesus says hey can we have uh, some food over this and if you've ever noticed, you can be crazy and all over the place and just eating just kind of normalizes us and brings us into a deep fellowship. Two things about Christianity. It is indeed powerful. It is miraculous. It is charismatic. It is incredible. God heals. There are miracles happening. All It is crazy. It is out of control. And it's also very normal. How many of you guys are planning on eating today? Anybody eating today? Okay. Jesus showed up in his resurrected body. He's like, I'll take some fish tacos, some carne asada, and a cheeseburger, you know. <laughs> what? demonstrating his humanity and his humility and his deity. He'd been dead, now he's eating. I'm not sure what exactly this means. Maybe you guys can chew on it a little bit. Sorry, stupid. Talk about it over at your life groups. Well, Jesus does all of this in their presence in order to bring them into fellowship with him in order to establish that he had saved them and he wants to live with them in normalcy. And again, let me just make sure you hear this. Somebody asked me on the way out during the first service, hey, Luke, do you think it's God's will to always heal people? And I emphatically said, no. And I said, primarily because Jesus didn't heal everybody. 
Jesus, when he went to the hospitals, if you would, the pool of Bethesda, he didn't heal everyone who was sick. He only healed one. Jesus didn't heal everybody. He was obedient to the Father's will. Not everybody gets healed, but I still believe in healing. I've prayed for people to be healed. This is a quandary between the Lord and I. People will get sick. I'll lay hands on them and pray, and I've had people be healed. Feeling of the Holy Spirit, the regeneration. Wow, no way. I've also seen people die. Okay, but I believe in healing. I believe in power. I believe in the miraculous. And I look for that. I'm, I'm open to that. I hope, I hope you are too. But then, if you're like me, more often than not, you're watching Nacho Libre. And you're living your life. And you're just doing normal stuff. You're going to soccer, had three games yesterday, all kinds of stuff. I'm just like stuff going all day long. And guess what? The Lord's in that as well. He's in the fish tacos. Okay? He's in the lunch. He's in the normal stuff you're doing. This literally makes no sense to me that Jesus would ask, you guys have anything to eat? And they give him some fish and honeycomb. You ever had natural honeycomb just right there? Just I'm gonna give you some, I had some honeycomb handed to me. I was in Honduras one time in the back of this truck and I'm eating and going, hopefully there's no bees in here eating the wax and all, you know, eating the honeycomb. Normal stuff. I was in Honduras building houses and water wells and eating honey. Christianity is both powerful and prolific and life-changing and it's also very normal. Maybe that'll speak to somebody here that's find yourself on the paradigm outside of the realm of balance this is all on Easter Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible doesn't tell us what he did on Monday. It doesn't tell us what he did on Tuesday, or Wednesday, or Thursday, or Friday, or Saturday. It tells us he showed up again the next Sunday. We don't know what he did. We imagine he did lots. And on the next Sunday, he shows up to the 11 again on purpose to see one individual. Do you guys know his name? Starts with T, rhymes with Amos. Thomas, Bible scholar back there. Thomas. Because Thomas wasn't here and Thomas didn't believe. After this event, Thomas showed up and they're like, oh, dude, we just had fish tacos with Jesus. He's like, we just had fish tacos with Jesus. He's like, no, we, he was here. Oh, he was here. No, he's alive. Oh, he's alive. And he didn't believe for Thomas. It's been a whole week not believing. Can you imagine that? These guys are like, do you think we're lying to you? I don't, I don't, I won't believe it unless I see it. So you know what Jesus did? He showed up, walked through the wall again. And he walked right over to Thomas. Hey, Thomas, I heard you had some questions about how I eat fish tacos. I eat them with these hands. And he showed him his hands. He said, check my side out. Do it, dude. Come. And Thomas repented and worshiped him as God. He said, oh, Lord. Thomas is going to be in heaven. We give him a bad rap, doubting Thomas. Okay? Jesus pursued him and loved him. Jesus pursues and loves everybody. I need you to understand this. Because we judge people differently, don't we? We think of some people as important and some people as unimportant. We do that, and it's wrong. And the Lord shows us how much he loves these boys on the road to Emmaus, or how much he loves Thomas, or how much he loves Peter. Because he wants us to have that same love for the people in our town. Have you ever gone to LincolnCountyJail.com and gone to the inmate roster and just seen all the people in the jail? Have you done that before? I do it all the time. See all my friends. People from this church, lots of them. And there's a temptation within my humanity to be judgmental. Ooh, that person looks crazy. Ooh, that person looks bad. Did you know that Jesus doesn't look at them any different than you? Okay? He loves everyone. And he sees people in their time of need. He's like, I'm going to walk through walls for you. 
I'm going to show up for you. Oh, you don't believe in me? All right, let's meet. Jesus loves everyone, and he pursues them. And he wants you to do the same thing. He doesn't want you to drive by Lincoln County Jail and be condescending or drive by Walmart and be condescending or drive by whatever store and be condescending and look on Facebook and see all these people that need Jesus because they don't see him the way you do. We have so many people that come to celebrate recovery that, uh, dare I say, uh, come to serve. They're just here to serve. They don't, they don't, their lives are recovered. They're doing great. And they're not falling through the cracks. And so they show up on purpose to love people, to minister to the down and outers. That's amazing. And this is our heart that we see displayed in Jesus. Jesus does the same thing. So a week after this, Jesus would go to the 11 and he would see Thomas. And then about four weeks later, Jesus would find himself in Galilee. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday, he would walk the earth for 40 days, right around six weeks. And he would find himself back up in Galilee, northern Jerusalem, or northern Israel. And at that point, the Bible tells us in the book of John that Peter and a few of his friends went fishing. And when Peter says, I'm going to go fishing, it's not because he wanted to enjoy fishing. It's because he was quitting the ministry to become a fisherman. This is what he started out as. And as he went fishing, you guys know the story. He fished all night, and when he woke up the next morning, how many fish did he catch? Zero. As the sun was rising, there was a voice from the beach that cried out to the fishermen, you got any fish? And it was the first time in history that the fisherman told the truth and said, no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We got a couple, but they got away, you know. You should have seen it, man. Instead, these fishermen are like, no. Now, now, on the beach, it's Jesus Christ. How are you doing? You guys got any fish? Now, did Jesus know they had fish? Did he know the answer to the question? He's messing with them. And so the voice cried out, try the other side. <clears throat> And these guys are like 100 yards offshore, fishing with nets in a small boat, about five feet wide, max. And it's like, oh, yeah, they're on the other side, bro. Oh, we're doing it wrong. You know, like, come on, dude. There's no sides underwater. What do you mean try the other side? And yet Peter realized it was the Lord. And they tried the other side. Let's try it. And the Net went down, and when it came up, it was so full of fish that the net began to break. And as they were pulling it up, Peter realized, that's Jesus. Peter did two things at that point, maybe three. Number one, he let go of the net. I don't need these fish. Number two, he grabbed his jacket that he'd taken off, and he put it on. Okay? And number three, he jumped in the water and began to swim. Swam? Swim. And he swam for Jesus. He didn't leave his jacket in the boat because he was never going back there. He'd made a mistake by going fishing, vocationally. I'm gonna quit the ministry and become a fisherman again. There's nothing wrong with fishing or fish. We know that Jesus ate fish. And he swam back. And as Peter got to the shore, he came up and there on the beach was Jesus Christ himself with the fire and cooking on the fire was what? Fish. The exact same that Peter had gone out to get. Jesus said, how you doing? Have a seat. And then Jesus began to feed Peter and he asked Peter a series of questions. He said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter had been up and down in his love. He said, well, you know I like you. And he said, well, do you love me? And he said, well, you know I like you. He said, do you love me? And Peter was frustrated and broken at this point. He's like, oh, Lord, you, oh, you know my heart, I'm trying, I wanna love you. In the Greek, they were using different words for love. They have five different words for love. 
in the Greek language. In, in English, we only have one word for love, so we get lost in translation. I can equally say that I love my wife, and I can use the same word to express my uh, emotion towards hot dogs. I love hot dogs also, but there's a difference. There's a difference between the way I love my wife and hot dogs. And they were using different words in John 21, different words. And finally, on the third question, Jesus looked at Peter, and he said, Peter, listen to me. I want you to feed my sheep. Peter wasn't ready to. Peter didn't want to. Peter had failed. He'd gone out fishing. He'd quit. He'd betrayed. He'd been, he wasn't good enough, and Jesus said, I am good enough in you, Peter. Feed my sheep. Did you know that a few days later, Peter would be in Jerusalem, and he would preach a sermon after the power of the Holy Spirit had been given to him, and 3,000 people would get saved? Peter the quitter. Peter the fisherman. And a few days later, Peter would preach again and 5,000 people would get saved. And 10 years later, Peter would go into Cornelius' house and he would preach and the Holy Spirit would be given to the Gentiles and all of the Gentiles would have the opportunity to be saved through Peter. Jesus restored Peter. And then a few days later, we come to what's next. It's called the Great Com Commission. And it's our story beginning in verse 44. And I had intended to finish it today, but we're not going to. We're gonna have to check it out next week. But I want you to read this verse with me in closing. Look at verse 44. This is now six weeks after Easter. And then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Stop right there, eyes up here. Jesus, in his very final words with his disciples, six weeks after Easter Sunday, gave him a Bible study. And he said, these are the words which I spoke to you out of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, and everything concerning me. And he opened up their understanding to the Bible, to what we do, study the Bible. And he said, everything in the Old Testament is about me. Everything in this book is about me. Everything moving forward is about me. Let me give you guys a little life hack this morning. It's not about you. Life is not about you. It is not about you. This book is not about you. It is not about you. It is not about you. It is not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. This book is not about you, okay? This book is not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. Jesus gave him a Bible study right before he ascended. He said, it's all about me. And he commanded them, now go into the world and preach and baptize, cause, calling people to obey the commandments that I've taught you. Genesis is all about Jesus. Exodus, all about Jesus. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Esther, Nehemiah, Psalms, Proverbs, Job, the rest of them. They're all about Jesus. And the ones I missed too. Don't judge me. We're going to pick up next week and study this as Jesus ends dare I say where it begins for you if you don't know it's all about Jesus right now I guarantee your life is an upheaval you're stressed perplexed depressed unsure and weak fearful with doubts 
if it's all about Jesus, though, man, nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop you. You, like Peter, can stand up <clears throat> on the day of Pentecost and say, men and brethren, listen to me. And you can preach. And thousands of people have their lives changed forever. You, like Peter, can move forward instead of going backwards. You, like Peter, can be restored and redeemed and rescued. You, like anybody today who looks to Jesus Christ, can have everything make sense to you. Or you can be filled with peace or trouble and doubts can arise. It's your choice. The gift of God has been given through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you guys, and we're going to take communion right now. The elements are going to be brought out. Pastor Ryan's going to lead us in a closing song. And we get a chance to handle his body, his bread, his cup, representing his body and his blood for you and for me. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we prepare to commune together. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name that, Lord, you know all things and you've called us, Lord, to walk by your side and to experience you, to enjoy you, Lord, to know you, to grow with you to come to you, Lord, in your resurrected body and rejoice in fellowship with others. And if we're honest, Lord, we get it twisted. We confuse everything. We get everything all messed up. We're just like Peter. We're just like the guys on the road. We just, we're like Thomas. Lord, there's some doubters in here. I get it. I get it. Lord, if Thomas was there with the first eyewitnesses and he doubted them, Lord, I bet, I bet we're going to struggle too. And Jesus, you came to him with love and with empathy said, I love you, man. Check me out. And Lord, as we come to the table now and check you out, as we consider your blood, which is sufficient for our sins, it's enough. I don't need to have fear. I don't need to have doubt. I don't need to be troubled. Lord, as we look at your hands and your feet, as we learn from you, we don't need to be overwhelmed. Forgive us of our sins. Set us free once again that others might be set free through the message lived in our lives. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for all you've done. May we not be unbelievers in this room, but may we be believers. May we see you as so powerful, Lord, that you could raise from the dead and walk through walls, but may we also see you as so normal that you would want to eat fish tacos with us later today. May we really just enjoy you. So bless the table now, we ask. May it be powerful, may it be instrumental. We do what we do now, proclaiming your death, Lord, until you return. Be honored in this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.